Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, the story of Russia Gate with Jackson Lears. Jackson Lears is the Board of Governors Professor of History at Rutgers University. He is the editor of the journal Raritan, a quarterly review. His books include Something for Nothing, Luck in America, and Fables of Abundance, a cultural history of advertising in America. He recently wrote an article called what we don't talk about when we talk about Russian hacking for the London Review of Books. Jackson Lears, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you. Glad to be here. Correct me if I'm wrong, this story of Putin stealing the U.S. presidential election started out as a story of Putin and the Russians giving Democratic emails to WikiLeaks, which seemed to me to start out as a distraction from the content of those emails. That's one, one of the really striking things about the, the coverage of the, this whole subject. There was a, a brief flurry of interest in the emails during the presidential campaign. But then after Trump shocked everyone by winning, there was a, a moment of sort of self-questioning among uh, Democrats and uh, a, a brief recognition that this election had been a, and I mean the whole campaign, the Sanders campaign, as well as the Trump campaign, a, re- a recognition that this, that uh, the Washington establishment was in big trouble and there was a, a great deal of... of uh, when you say it's Sanders, you mean sort of Clinton, political right? Insider political class running things in Washington, and, and whether we're talking about re- Republicans or Democrats or independents. And uh, when you say Sanders, I think you mean Clinton, right? No, what I what I meant was that the Sanders campaign, like the Trump campaign, even though Sanders is a social democrat and, and uh, Trump is a, is a is a demagogic mountebank, uh, the the they both spoke to a, a deep discontent. And there was a there was a, a a brief period when that discontent was discussed openly, and then the swerve took place again toward uh, uh, away from what was in the emails, which was evidence of of uh, uh, basically the the uh, the Clinton campaign owning the Democratic National Committee and basically using it. Uh, to promote their own cause and uh, to rig the election against Sanders. And uh, all of this uh, disappeared from view uh, once uh, the Russian hacking story got revived. And that was, in in fact, a story that had surfaced briefly during the campaign, but it never really caught on. And then uh, uh, after the election, it became a way, I think, for establishment Democrats to distract attention from their own shortcomings and their own failure, their catastrophic failure, to defeat this this idiotic man, uh, this this repellent and dangerous figure who uh, who should have been destroyed instead uh, comes out on top. And and uh, was there was there evidence of those emails having an impact on the outcome of the election, regardless of who leaked them or hacked them? Oh, you mean the uh, the, the revelation of of uh, what what was actually what the DNC was actually doing? Well, it, yes. If those somehow determined the outcome of the election, is that true? Uh, I don't think you could see that at all. I think there there are all kinds of things that that uh, that, that are that are much more important. Uh, I think the uh, the, uh, 
the emails surfaced briefly, but I don't think they were ever a, a, a substantive issue. Yeah, and and yet you describe this belief that Putin stole the election for Trump as having become uh, something of a religion. How so? <laughs> well, the way I see it, and 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 this is after immersing myself for, for months in this awful uh, story and the various reiterations of it. But what I see is the constant reliance, as in any good orthodoxy, on the uh, sort of ex-cathedra pronouncements, the dogmatic pronouncements of, uh, you know, church fathers, high, high echelon figures in the church. Uh, in this case, the church is the, the deep state, the FBI, the CIA, uh, the NSA and uh, intelligence agencies generally, and uh, uh, the the figures, the church fathers, are people like James Clapper uh, and and uh, uh, James Brennan, John Brennan, and and uh, um, uh, Comey, uh, and and uh, they're they're all uh, asserting uh, claims. Um, Beginning with the the, the uh, so-called national, uh, uh, or rather, the intelligence community assessment that is published in in, uh, uh, in January a year ago, uh, there's nothing in it. It's virtually fact-free. It's just vague uh, assertions, and these are the kinds of claims that have been advanced ever since. Uh, by the uh, the church fathers of the of the new orthodoxy who who tend to be uh figures from the uh from the obama in, in uh intelligence community uh the earlier administration so uh there there's not really been any evidence advanced yet uh of Russian tampering in the election and in fact the story uh is is uh, is full of holes at, at at every point and uh major question marks. Now, this isn't to say that, that everything's been settled, but that my, my point is that so far, we, we simply do not have uh, the evidence. Well, I, I think <laughs> you're... That Russians act, uh, or, that in, or that even that they meddled directly in, in, uh, in the affairs, and certainly of, of, the, of the U.S. election, and certainly not at the direction of their, their, uh, um, their leaders in the Kremlin, and Putin in particular, uh, these claims are just being wildly asserted uh, uh, by Clapper and Brennan and and, uh, and occasionally by Comey and uh, they've and then they've been repeated uncritically uh, endlessly so that we have a kind of chorus of, of uh, unanimity which doesn't allow any dissent. That's the other striking thing about it. Yeah, you describe in your article, Jackson Lears, that this phenomenon excludes dissent unlike anything else you've ever seen, at least in your adult life. And I wonder if you could you could explain that. I mean, obviously, there are statements that I disbelieve that everyone almost uh, demands that I believe. Iran is pursuing nuclear weapons. ISIS <laughs> needs to be bombed. Russia has conquered <laughs> Crimea. Drone strikes reduce violence in the world, and so on. What's different about this one? Well, I think what's different is uh, the... The, the ones you're describing, the, the examples you gave, and that was a very impressive list <laughs> you marshaled up, by the way, of, of dominant beliefs that are dominant beliefs that are open to 
to challenge, not to say refutation. So this is not just a dominant belief we're talking about here in, in terms of the Russian hacking story. It is a, a uniform orthodoxy in the sense that uh, people who question it, like like people who expressed Soviet, you know, sympathy for the Soviet Union in in uh, in the early years of the Cold War, the coldest years of the Cold War, um, were instantly assumed to be traitors uh, and allies of the Soviet Union. Now, anyone who expresses doubt about the uh, uh, the hacking story is made to be an apologist for for uh, for Putin, uh, a Kremlin stooge. This is appalling. You know, one doesn't have to approve uh, the autocratic policies of Putin or, or approve of all of his foreign policy moves. So I think they can at least be understood <clears throat> in, a, in a more capacious and historically informed way than they are. But, you know, let's just bracket his policies and say, OK, they, we, you know, we can disagree with a lot of the things he does and, and, uh, and challenge him from doing them in the diplomatic arena. But to declare him somehow so vile that he's off limits and that he and his government, we should suddenly have nothing to do with them. Uh, when in fact the official position of the Democratic Party as recently as 2012 was, we want rapprochement with Russia. And that's a perfectly reasonable position. Uh, that We have a lot of things in common that we could work together, even if we agree to disagree about other things. We work with autocrats all the time. We could go uh, with with together with Putin, we don't have to get in bed with him. We just have to sit across a, a table from him and talk about nuclear weapons and how to make them disappear. You know, we're the two great super, uh, superpowers, nuclear superpowers in the in the world uh, still, uh, <coughs> which doesn't mean others can't blow it up as well. But, you know, we have the op- opportunity and I believe the obligation to lead the way in the abolition of nuclear weapons, to restart that effort that Reagan and Gorbachev most improbably did in the 80s. And we're never going to do it if we just say, this man is so vile, we can't, we can't communicate with him in any way. We can't have anything to do with him. This is crazy. You know, this is giving up diplomacy altogether. Talk about isolationism. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a truly bizarre thing. And it, it seems like it's almost related to uh, a kind of purification ritual in the wake of Trump. You know, the feeling that Trump is so vile, and he is indeed vile. There, my problem is that we're not resisting him effectively with this RussiaGate stuff. But that you know, twinning him with Putin, <coughs> excuse me, and then declaring them both these you know hopeless authoritarian personalities uh, is is a way of saying, well, we we just can't have anything to do with anything with anything these people do. We have this. Uh, revulsion against them is so great and you you simply cannot do that with with uh uh with with powerful foreign leaders uh in in this way it's this kind of hyper moralistic uh purification ritual of uh well we you know we can't we we can't dirty our hands uh and when of course we're dirtying them all the time in in uh uh, in, in secret and, and or if public, supposedly humanitarian ways. So it's a uh, it's a it's a very frustrating uh, set of beliefs that just suddenly clamp down across the major media, 
uh, and uh, certainly in the you know the Democratic establishment, and ultimately in you know a good bit of the Republican establishment as well. So I what mean, we got virtual unanimity on on sanctions against uh, Russia, for example. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the, the Congress is on board with this too. But uh, what's what's really striking is that how much of the left liberal intelligentsia has bought into it as well. So of people who consider themselves, <coughs> excuse me, progressive Democrats. Uh, and, and what motivates the U.S. media in this and believers in it? Is it a combination of hatred of Trump, of belief in the government, of uh, desire to sell weapons, of the, the, the ingrained Cold War from decades gone by? What, what, has, what has managed to create such a phenomenon? Once again, you've rattled off a pretty good uh, and, and convincing list of possible explanations. Um, <clears throat> I would go back to the first one and say uh, Trump is, is is key, certainly. Uh, and I think what what I object to is 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 not revulsion from Trump. I share it. Uh, I just think there there are more effective ways of dealing with him uh, than what we're doing, uh, and, and challenging more directly uh, the ecological devastation he's, he's already unleashing, and the, uh, uh, not to mention the menaces to, you know, to undocumented immigrants and, and Muslim travelers. Uh, this, this is all very real and, and urgent. But my feeling about him is not that he's a monster like we've never seen before. I mean, in mo- most ways, except for you know, his offensive cultural style, which is again, deserving of denunciation because it legitimates uh, misogyny, open, proud misogyny, and it legitimates uh, uh, racism, too, overt racism. So his style needs to be condemned. But other, and and, and every time it asserts itself, I'm totally on board with that. Uh, But that doesn't justify the, the Russia mania. And I think, you know, Trump is a standard brand Republican in a lot of ways. Cheney and Bush <clears throat> did permanent damage to the Constitution as well as permanent damage to the uh, to the Middle East, and they legitimated torture. And uh, these are all horrible things that uh, that Trump didn't initiate. Regular Republicans did with the support of the whole uh, apparatus of government. But at the time, uh, and and this is something that that I was thinking before. Uh, before, when when you when you brought up the question of uh, what's you know what what's unique about this uh, this furor uh, uh, is is uh, the absence of any real debate. Uh, we had debate about the uh, uh, entry into the Iraq War, uh, even though we opponents of it lost that debate. There was still a significant. Well, uh, three three percent three percent of the guests on network television, according to fairness and accuracy in reporting, uh, had doubts about the Iraq War. Three percent. Three percent. Yes. Yeah. Well. Okay. So there wasn't a hell of a lot of debate. Our, our, our newfound hero, Oprah Winfrey, demanded the invasion of Iraq. The Iraqis oh, wanted yeah, the U.S. Yeah, to yeah. invade their country. You know. <coughs> Still, there were mass demonstrations, right? I mean, there there was open protest, and there were senators who voted against it. Twenty-seven or so, I think it was. Uh, For sure, and House members. So there was at least some debate going on, even if the media was totally supine, and in fact, you know, re- reprinting the uh, uh, the fake news generated by the, by the CIA. So, uh, 
this is what's happened now, you know, in recoiling from, from Trump, the Democrats have, have uh, ended up in the arms of the CIA and, uh, and, and, and loving it. You know, they're suddenly uncritical advocates uh, of the intelligence community. Yeah, uh, it's striking. Which they used to be skeptical about. I mean, they, they you know, they, 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 uh, they created real investigations into the, into the CIA back in the 70s under Frank Church and that's all that's all gone now they're they're just totally on board with whatever uh, the FBI or the CIA assert indeed and have just helped the republicans in large numbers to uh, give trump expanded powers of unconstitutional warrantless spying while uh, while yeah. being so, the, the resistance so this absence of real opposition from the democrats is is uh, uh, is deeply discouraging uh, though uh, as I said in the piece in the London Review, there there are some signs of of uh, stirring uh, out in the countryside, <laughs> and uh, uh, there are certain movements like the Justice Democrats that I I believe are uh, uh, are challenging the uh, the Democratic leadership, but they they're up against a lot of money and power concentrated in the DNC, and we're going to see a lot of the familiar faces being put forward, but. The, with a lot of money behind them, and, and uh, you know, the amazing thing to me is, and, and I, uh, I, you may know this as well, but it's I, I, when I read Bernie Sanders' speech on foreign policy, uh, and actually watched it on YouTube, I, I, I started doing so with great hopeful expectation. That, you know, finally he's going to say something about foreign policy, and he did say some good things about foreign policy. He criticized regime change. He talked about how catastrophic it had been in, in uh, Vietnam and Iraq and elsewhere, but uh, but he also put in the obligatory denunciation of, of uh, Putin and Russia, and the based on the assumption that they had uh, interfered with our elections, and uh, it it's so strong that he had to do this in a way that celebrated this vision of how we were going to take the uh, you know the march of liberty. Uh, worldwide, even even into Russia, you know. So he ended up sounding vaguely like a cold warrior, which was appropriate since he was giving it in Churchill, you know, where Churchill gave the the Iron Curtain speech. But it was so dispiriting to hear Sanders, and now anytime he talks about foreign policy, it's, uh, he he uh, he feels like he has to get on the uh, uh, on the Russia Gate wagon as well. And, uh, or he enthusiastically wants to. Who knows? But uh, well, he, he we, may he may want to. He may be we, persuaded. Yeah. But in that case, he's mistaken. <laughs> we're, we're, and, and there were a lot of other people. So it's it's very dispiriting. And and uh, there there are a handful of people who are raising uh, serious and and uh, legitimate questions about this. But uh, they're so often stigmatized as conspiracy theorists by the major media, which is really ironic, given the fact that. The whole Russian hacking story is a huge conspiracy theory, and, uh, uh, one, one singularly lacking in, in, in evidence at this point. It is indeed. We're speaking with Jackson Lears, whose article in the London Review of Books is called What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Russian Hacking. Jackson, did you publish in London because you couldn't publish it in the United States? Well, that's a good question. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I didn't try. Uh, in uh, but I do suspect it, it's much more likely that a piece like mine would have been published there uh, than here. Um, he, and 
so I, it, what happened was the opportunity kind of fell in my lap when the London Review wrote me last summer and asked if, uh, you know, if I would just write something, you know, as one, a, a guy in New Jersey looking at the Democratic Party and saying, okay, what, so what are these people doing in response to Trump? That was my assignment. Yeah. Know, to come up with the observations of the, of the Democratic Party's response, mm-hmm. or, as they said, non-response to Trump. And uh, so this is, and, and you know, my wife, who's, a, who's an artist, uh, Karen Parker Lears, was, uh, she was on this case from the beginning and was sort of putting me in touch with a lot of uh, uh, websites and uh, other sources of encounter narratives that so rarely got uttered in public. Um, Consortium News, for example, and other. So I, I had been reading up. I was, by this by the time the London Review called me, I was well aware of, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the phoniness, the essential thinness, right. in fact, the laughable thinness of the so-called intelligence community assessment back in uh, January, and then the continued reliance on that by uh, commentators and and, uh, uh, and and propagandists for the FBI and the CIA. So I... I uh, uh, I was inevitably going to write something about Russiagate. There was no way I could avoid it. I couldn't write a critique of the Democratic Party without writing about Russiagate. And uh, so they got themselves into something that they may not have expected, and that it caused, I think, quite a uh, a tizzy in their uh, in their editorial offices for a while. Um, but they were they were great, you know. They, good good uh, for I mean, them. They 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 came at this <clears throat> from a point of view like any. Uh, uh, almost anyone would, just given the pervasiveness of the major media. The Guardian, for example, in in the UK, takes the same line that the Times and the Post do. Uh, they've been avid purveyors of the of the RussiaGate story, and uh, and these people can, cons- you know, are all Guardian readers, and I'm sure consider themselves and are well informed by those standards. But they hadn't heard a lot of this stuff before either, so they had to. They had to fact-check things. We didn't always agree. There were certain things I would have wanted to put in that that I didn't. But in the end, I think they made the right decisions strategically because there's so much technical detail in this story that it can so easily become distracting uh, from uh, the main events and, and the main significance, really, which is the, uh, the, the question embodied in my title, what we're not talking about when we're talking about. Uh, Russian hacking. What kind of cultural work does this story do? And uh, clearly, it legitimates uh, you know, main, mainstream establishment Democrats, and uh, and it distracts from their need for self-examination, their need to restructure the party, to open it up to um, more challenging and, and capacious. Uh, Populistic views, humane populist views. That's uh, as as well as recognize the connection between uh, demo- uh, domestic class politics and and foreign policy. Uh, and and this is uh, one of the interesting things. Uh, and I concluded the article with this, uh, citing this social science research that a couple of uh, guys, one from from uh, Minnesota Law School and the other from uh, BU Boston University, uh, they did a lot of, of uh, interviewing and surveying of, of, of people in uh, the sections of uh, Pennsylvania, uh, 
Michigan and Wisconsin, the three big swing states. Right. Uh, and then the areas that were that had the most uh, casualties in the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. And those sections tended to go for Trump because Trump was presenting himself falsely, it turned out, as a, as a non-interventionist candidate, as an opponent of... Uh, well, very mixed message from him on that, I think. I beg your pardon? Very mixed messages from him as a candidate on well, that. Th- that's right, because he, he, he was, a, uh, he was a, a racist, he was a jingoist, he was a nationalist, he was, he, was a, he was a militarist in a lot of ways. And so he's continuing the military buildup and the nuclear modernization, so-called. Uh, every bit as much and even more uncritically than uh, than Obama. Uh, and so we have the same bipartisan militarist foreign policy that we ever did. Trump did nothing uh, on that front except, you know, play play the jingo card uh, yeah. and, and get people fired up with xenophobic nationalism. But uh, yeah, it's it's true. But people voted for him uh, in the in the vain hope that uh, that it would represent a shift away uh, from Democratic Party interventionism or bipartisan interventionism, for that matter. I mean, I think that's one reason the the yeah. Washington establishment is so united in its opposition to. Trump is that he is at bottom uh, an outsider, even though you know he, he's uh, he, he's basically parroting the lines of the you know the most reactionary Republicans in most cases. But he seemed to be uh, parroting parroting a somewhat different line for a while on trade and on, on foreign policy. He did, so, Jackson yeah. Lears. We've got about two minutes left. I wonder if I okay. can r- one more list of things to rattle off to you. Yeah, I, yeah. The the. Russiagate is the one charge that lacks any evidence and has all the backing of all the Democrats. And yet, when I look at charges for which there's indisputable evidence, financial corruption, incitement of violence, interference in voting rights, discrimination by religion, illegal wars and threats of wars, abuse of the pardon, uh, politicizing prosecutions, colluding with Israel while uh, uh, president-elect, environmental destruction, sexual assault, etc., etc., there's no interest. These are not being drafted as articles of impeachment, Nancy Pelosi. That's the astonishing thing. Why not? We don't need this. If we want to impeach the guy, we've got grounds for it, you know, beginning with with the emoluments clause from the the Constitution. Yeah. About personal enrichment and so on, you know, through public office. But uh, this is... uh, uh, and and the, once again, very impressive list. I mean, it's appalling. It's an appalling list. And I think this is the bottom line. You know, do we really want to confront confront the ravages that Trump is already working on this country? Uh, do we really want to try to stop him, or do we want to continue to be distracted with this uh, this phony line about about Russian interference in the election? Uh, you know, there's there's work to be done. Uh, that, that's uh, uh, that's much more serious than that, and. Uh, and and as the the added virtue of of not exacerbating uh, our foreign relations with with uh, a powerful rival uh, unnecessarily, we we just we don't need to be confronting Russia. It's a scandal that public figures are going out like uh, Morgan Freeman with this group, you know, the committee yes. to in- investigate Russia, saying we're at war with Russia. Uh, this is appalling to me, and un- and it's unnecessary, uh, to say the least. So uh, I think we have to uh, question this Russiagate narrative seriously and then 
refocus our attention on, on other uh, much more pressing and dangerous matters uh, that Trump is, is, is threatening us with. Thank, thank you very much for doing so. The article will have a link up at talknationradio.org is what we don't talk about when we talk about Russian hacking. Jackson Lears, thank you very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.